1492, the black identity has been under attack. The black identity also came under attack in the year 1654 by Abel Tasman, as we saw the extermination of the Tasmanians. It's interesting that the Thanksgiving holiday just passed on Thursday, and on that very day it marked the extermination of the Yamakra people, indigenous dark-skinned people, to this shore. So the Curtis Mayfield song that we played at the beginning of this broadcast saying we people who are darker than blue truly has new meaning and truly has new resonance. I want to welcome everyone tonight to the No One Talk broadcast. I am your host, Dee. We're going to be exploring and talking about a couple of topics tonight, and it's just a couple of thoughts I wanted to share with everyone tonight. A lot has been happening in the media, and it's been a while since we talked. I know there was no show last week. But we're glad to be back this week to be able to talk to you and provide you with all the information that your community needs and also provide you with a black perspective to much of the news that's been happening. Because what usually happens when our people view media is we view media within a vacuum and, and don't make it relative to history, make it relative to the political structure, make it relative to the economic structure. So that's what this program hopes to do. If you would like to call in tonight, our guest call-in number is 347-989-0180. Once again, that guest call-in number is 347-989-0180. And once again, this is the No One Talk broadcast. And so we see when, when there's a battle for the black identity that true leadership is often challenged. When Edward Wilmot Blyden had the nerve to talk about the importance of dark-skinned people. He was challenged. Edward Wilmot Blyden was a worthy predecessor to the Most Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. When we look at Martin Delaney and the Delaney versus Douglas debates, Martin Delaney had the nerve to ask the question, should black people have nationalism or a sense of nationalism to themselves? We then, a decade later, look at William Monroe Trotter of the Boston Guardian. William Monroe Trotter was one of the founders of the Niagara Movement along with W.E.B. Du Bois, which would later become the NAACP as we know it today. 
And W.E.B. Du Bois was the only founding black on that board, which founded the NAACP. And so William Monroe Trotter ended up leaving the Niagara movement because he felt that it had lost its way and lost its direction, whereas it was supposed to be helping supplement resources to the black community. It was snaking the very same resources from the black community. That sounds like the NAACP today. And so from William Monroe Trotter, we then look at the propaganda tactics of the Most Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. Garvey succeeded using three means. Number one, he was a master propagandist. Number two, he was highly principled. And number three, he was a producer. He was a propagandist because he understood the importance of media and how media was assaulting and still does continue to assault the black mind and how when we control our images that we will begin to produce a greater community. He was principled in more ways than one, obviously having the red, black, and green flag, but also Garvey was principled enough to understand that the mission has to be specifically focused. The mission has to be specifically stated, and the mission has to be simple enough that our people can simply follow it through. So when Marcus Garvey went and purchased the Black Star Line steamships, he purchased them with the purpose of saying, we can trade with our mother continent, and not only can we trade and have embargo missions there, we also can take those that have a talent, those that have a skill, back to our mother continent. So not only was Garvey a master propagandist, not only was he principled, but also he was a producer. In 1918, there was the Negro Factories Corporation. In 1919, there was the Negro World. That was the number one black publication in America, selling over 200,000 copies on a weekly basis. But then also he had the Black Star Line Steamship. He had the Black Cross Navigation Trading Company. He had millinery stores. He had doll factories. So we see that the work of the Most Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey was backed up by the words of the Most Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. I, I, I know today many of us will read both volumes, the philosophy and opinions of Marcus Garvey, but it will simply remain at the philosophy and opinions, and we seldom take it out to become producers unto ourselves. What is it that Garvey said? Garvey said, if you have no confidence, you are twice defeated in the race of life. And so from Marcus Garvey, we then get up to the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who was a worthy successor on the model that Garvey had established of self-reliance, and, and also who had established before Garvey, Booker T. Washington, the model of the Tuskegee model of self-reliance and of nationhood. And so I say all that to say in this opening monologue of the No One Talk broadcast that had we listened to these messengers, whether it was Blyden, Delaney, Trotter, Garvey, Muhammad, and Dr. Khalid Muhammad, and so had we listened to these messengers, there would not be a board of home in the black community. Had we listened to these messengers, there would not be ruptured families in the black community. Had we listened to these messengers, there would not be a question and there would not be black people that have despair on their faces and in their hearts and their minds at the fact that a Donald Trump winning a presidency of the United States. So the concept of a Donald Trump presidency, as I broke down on the, on the broadcast two weeks ago, and you can listen to our archivals here. Once again, our call-in number is 347-989-0180. But the concept of the Donald Trump presidency, I can liken it to the Star Wars trilogy. If you remember Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Lando Calrissian helped topple the first galactic empire. And so they defeated Emperor Palpatine. They defeated Darth Vader. They, defe they defeated the imperial troops. And so they toppled the Galactic Empire. However, the fringe remnants of the empire that was still a piece of the government became the First Order. And that's when we see Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, 
that there's the first order now, which is an which is an unapologetic branch of nationalists that use violence not only when necessary, but use violence when needed. And, and so that is what we're witnessing with the rise of Trump's America. As Trump has selected Giuliani, as he's in talks with Newt Gingrich, as he has selected Bannon, as he selected all of the great white supremacists <laughs> to, to be a part of his cabinet and to be a part of his administration. So this should come as no surprise to us. You know, if, if you read Plato's Mystery of the Cave and Plato's Allegory of the Cave, I put on my Facebook a little earlier today that they know our they know our history, but do we know theirs? They know that we founded Kemet. They know that, that we ruled Nubia. They know that we conquered Al-Andalus, conquered Spain, as they were saying in modern textbooks. They know that we are the Moors. They know that we are the original indigenous Native Americans. They know this, but what do we know about them? What do we know about their history of isolationism, paranoia, and fear, which leads to the fear of genetic annihilation, which leads to racism? Racism is a belief that is birthed out of the fear of a return to that level of isolationism. In their case, it was the cave dwelling. In their case, it was hovering over the Caucasus mountains and not being able to explore the rest of the world for close to six millenniums, while dark-skinned men and women had already pioneered nearly every science, language, and every bit of mathematics that the world knows and reveres today and continues to teach in its educational institutions. So with that said, I, I want to play a couple of clips because I, I think that's, it's important that we crystallize these thoughts that have happened over the last week here in terms of what has happened in the media, some good, some bad, some ugly. And obviously we, we lost Castro over the weekend. We lost Fidel Castro. And might I say, as the mainstream media is looking to lambast Castro and is looking to call him a communist or, or whatever else they would like to create about Castro, Castro was a friend to black, to black people. When the Congo was under attack from colonizers, it was Castro that paired up with Patrice Lumumba. When Caucasians attempted to recolonize Kenya under Jomo Kenyatta's first year of leadership in 1962 and that great wave of African liberation, it was Fidel Castro who sent his troops there. So Castro has Castro obviously offered asylum to many black political prisoners that have either been released or have evaded capture. And so Castro has always been a friend to us. Anytime you want to know who's an authentic leader on this planet of any nation, find out how much the white media doesn't like them. <laughs> and, and that's your litmus test. That's, that's all you basically need to know. Does the white mainstream media like them? No. If they don't, then that's an authentic leader. They didn't like Gaddafi, so Gaddafi was thorough. They don't like Mugabe, so Mugabe is thorough. They, they don't like, if you notice what's happening in South Africa now under Jacob Zuma, they don't like Jacob Zuma, so Jacob Zuma, therefore, is thorough. They don't like Uhuru Kenyatta. Uhuru Kenyatta is very thorough. In Haiti, they didn't like the Duvaliers, Jean-Claude Duvalier and baby Dr. Duvalier, but they were very thorough. They didn't like Aristide in the early 90s, but Aristide was thorough in many esteems. They, 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 for example, didn't like Bukmandada. They didn't like Jean-Jacques Dessalines, if I can take it back even further historically. They, they didn't like Toussaint Louverture. So all of these leaders they did not like because these leaders would not bow down. These leaders would not accept the second wave of colonialism. So the first clip I'm going to play, and I'm going to provide some play-by-play -play analysis. It, it's a very interesting clip, and it's about a week and a half old, and it's about it's Van Jones versus Caleb Kayla McKinney, and, and he's basically appealing to her in a very sad, 
fashion to apologize to him for her racist remarks as, as he's trying to plead with the racist when we know that there is no pleading with right racism. And so I, I want to examine this blow by blow, and this clip is about two minutes, so I'm going to ask everybody to bear with me. That's, that's right on the airwaves and on the broadcast. So hold on one moment. I'm just going to play a bit of this, and I'm going to pause it periodically to provide analysis. Here it goes. And, and it's basically the topic is covering this broadcast on CNN, moderated by Anderson Cooper. The topic is, is Steve Bannon a racist? Here we go. Things here. Um, first of all, uh, yes, we're supposed to give the president a chance. That doesn't mean we have to give him a pass on everything. And it really is, I think, uh, uh, a moment of truth for the country. Can you imagine if Hillary Clinton had gotten elected and she had someone, you know, as a part of her? Now, let me stop right there. Notice what he does, and this is exactly what I predicted was that's going to happen in the post-Obama, Trump-era America, the first order, if you will. A lot of the Negro apologists that are basically black Democratic shields in the mainstream media are going to immediately jump out and cape for Hillary Clinton in any way possible. They're going to mention her in interviews. They're going to talk about her in excess coverage. So here's what Van Jones is doing. Van Jones, Van Jones plays this very clever game with the act like he's for you. However, he'll jump right on the Hillary Clinton bandwagon in a moment. So let's continue to listen. Cabinet, who had been, or part of our inner circle, who had been the editor of the Revolutionary Worker, a Maoist newspaper that calls for the overthrow of the government. People would freak out and they would say, What is going on? I was a low level advisor, and people freaked out about stuff I said when I was in college. So you, you have this, this, this kind of a weird double standard. The Republicans, when Obama came in, it was all obstructed. Now, obviously, we know the only, I'm just going to stop right there. Now, we know the only double standard, obviously, is that. He's black. <laughs> so anything is three words because he's black. So what he's attempting to do is he's attempting to pair this minority intersectionality into his comments when, in fact, obviously we now know that minority was simply a code word that was thrust on black America to deny black America certain benefits post-1965. We understand that, and as well as post-1862 to cut black people out of the census. And the only great minority that has actually been a beneficiary in this nation has been the white woman. And so what Van Jones is doing is he's playing a clever game by simply pairing with the white woman that you would somehow find, find sympathy within yourself to empathize with his perspective and his point of view. He, he's playing the old white women struggle like black people do game, which is very common among black democratic shields. Let's continue to listen. It would delegitimate him from the very beginning, saying he's not even a citizen. And the same people who led that movement are now telling us we can't ask questions about an anti-Jewish bigot being put in, in the inner circle of the president. It doesn't make any sense. We've got to continue to have a serious debate about the direction of our country, and that includes talking about who's put in the inner circle of the president. I was just going to say, no one is saying you can't ask questions, but there's a line between asking a question and labeling. This is Kayla McKinney speaking now. Calling someone a racist, which is what Jonathan just did. And there's a line. There's a line. Hold on, let me finish. There's a line. There is a line between asking questions and legitimizing Donald Trump wanting to put people on so the permanent campus, which is what you said last night, Van. They need to be Now, here's another clever media tactic in case in case many haven't noticed. What they've done is this: this young lady, she's the prototypical blonde. And she's a shield for Donald Trump, obviously. We know that now that the Trump set is out in full force. But what they've done is, as is usual in these debates, to offset you thinking about 
systemic white supremacy, they've put a white male on the side of her that's within the studio. See, Van Jones is broadcasting and simulcasting from elsewhere and providing his comments and his analysis of Steve Bannon being in the White House. But the young lady is actually in the studio, and the white male is right next to her, but he's going to attempt to deter her point. So this way, subconsciously, what you do is, as you're watching this on television, this is how they play with the black mind. As you're watching this on television now, now you're going to side with the white male over Van Jones, and Van Jones is going to look fraudulent. Watch. Are you Look, Kaylee, uh, we've known each other for a, for a long time, and, I, and I've never taken your words and twisted them in any way. And I'm very, you know, we, we've had, we've butted our heads, but I've, I've never done to you what you just did to me. I've never said, and I really hope you'll apologize to me. I never. Now, th- this has got to be the saddest state that I've that I've seen a black male in, and, and the most emasculated state that I've seen a brother in on the news in a long time, and on mainstream outlets, especially where Cooning is at an all-time high. What he's attempting to do is he's attempting to, and this is a mistake that many black people make, that, that their cordial relationships with white people alleviate that white person's white privilege. And so as you, as you heard Van Jones said, now I've known you for a long time and you won't apologize to me. Well, of course she's not going to because the system legitimizes her being right even when she's wrong. Let's listen some more. Said that, the, that Donald Trump is going to put people in internment camps. What I said was that there were Muslims who had contacted me who were afraid of that. I was trying to talk about the level of fear that was existing in the Muslim community. And that level of fear has frankly gone higher, if not lower. So for you to take something that I was trying to share with you and, and our fellow panelists. Now, he, now he, what he basically did was he did a two-for-one in one interview. He threw in not only white women as the number one minority and attempt to gain that level of support, but what he did as well, he stretched his other intersectionality arm to the Islamic, especially the Arab Islamic community. Now, let, let me be very clear. Intersectionality does not work, and we obviously understand that it doesn't work because nobody has been lynched, nobody has had bricks hurled at them, nobody has had dogs sicked on them, nobody has had water hoses and cattle prods and tanks busted in their community like black people have. So until other groups start start beginning to understand that ma'afa that was thrusted upon us, they can sit around and, and use our backs for simple legislation as they have done for the past 50 years. So they, they were not there when, when we endured the pain. See, people are only loyal to your wins. They don't want to hear the woes that, it, that you had to endure to get there. And so they sat around and waited until Dr. King got the bill, and, and they waited until we did all the hard work and got the bill signed, and then they jumped in on some look at what we did and look at what we accomplished collectively spiel. Let's listen to the last part of this interview. About the level of fear and make it seem like I'm being irresponsible. I think it's horribly And as political commentators, we have a duty and an obligation, Van, to correct Mistruth and falsehoods, and it is a falsehood. No, you just. Now, what she's doing is what 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 Kaylee is doing is she she's playing the the basic. I have to tell this Negro what his job description is that that Caucasians love to use a lot. So notice how she's trying to lord over him with the very information that he was providing her with, which was basic analysis at the beginning of this interview. Correct. That took me correcting you, Van. No, we have a duty. We have an obligation. Very, as, 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 we have an obligation to correct falsehoods. And President Barack Obama stood up there and said, "It's time to unite." Man and that means getting rid of these rumors and dispelling these rumors. Bannon is a racist and an anti-Semite, and he's that's at, not true. Now, once again, to, as this interview is ending, to detour to deter her point. 
they're going to bring in this white man at the end who's going to talk about and touch about racism, but not obviously in the authentic form of what racism is. So continue to listen. He's at, the, he's at the head of an alt-right movement that is completely anti-American, frankly, in terms of American values. You should be ashamed of yourself that you're justifying what he's about. Right. I'm very right. proud of this campaign, and I'm very proud of I know you're proud, and that's that's that, uh, what's under there. Uh, you know, but Kelly, uh, I mean, just arguing Donald Trump's perspective, if, if, if I'm Donald Trump and there's a lot of folks who want to drain the swamp and who want a different way, if you just surround yourself with establishment types, um, then you're just like everybody else. Anderson, that's exactly right. And that is the biggest fear of, you know, the, the Trump inner circle, I think, would be that, you know, those who were Washington all the, the candidate, the candidate doesn't change Washington. Exactly. Those of us who supported Donald Trump supported him because he's not a politician, because he's anti-establishment. Okay, that's, that's enough from that clip. But as, as you all can see the example of what exactly I was speaking on, you just heard from the, from the, from the young Caucasian young lady as she was speaking to Van Jones in a very condescending manner, in a very condescending tone. She was speaking from her fear of genetic annihilation, as Dr. Francis Chris Wilson likes to talk about. This is what we have to very much understand where the concept of racism and the concept of white supremacy and white suppression derives from. It derives from the fear of losing and the fear of regression and reverting back to the state of the world as it was before they knew what the world was. So in order for them not to embrace that history much longer, they have to resort to these tactics. I'm, I'm part of a discussion group on Facebook, and I, 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 put, I posted today about this very topic in a new online blacks discussion study group. And so I, I, was ta- I posted an article that I wrote, and I was talking about that very topic about Historically, it makes sense why their behavior and pathologies are the way it is today because of the way that they acted in 1492, as I said in the monologue, because of the way that they acted in 1654, because of the way that they acted in 1734, as they didn't even honor the piece of paper that it was written on as they destroyed the Yamakra Nation, because of what was written and laid down in 1924 with the white slave trafficking laws, where there was this big hysteria that any black man was suspected of being a pimp who was going to pimp out young white girls in early, in early industrial America. This was an actual law, and, and that law is still on the books in many states. I, I know that in this very state in which I reside, in the state of Florida, two holdover laws from Jim Crow still exist, and that's the reckless eyeballing statute and the laugh barrel statute, where, where, and if, where and if, if you're walking around and and you're of dark skin and you're laughing too loudly, a white person can make a citizen's arrest of you, and the police can detain you for for up to three days. There's also the reckless eyeballing statute. If a white person feels obviously threatened by the way you're so-called staring at them, you can be detained by the authorities. So we are not too far removed from this, and, and, and I would say looking at footage from 1956 and just the fact that Dylan Roof is allowed to represent himself in court after murdering nine people in a church in Charleston, South Carolina, Mount Emanuel AME Church, just looking at the fact that Keith Lamont Scott's murderer gets off today, are we that far removed from 1956? Are, are we just that far removed from bricks and tanks and cattle prods and water hoses and dogs being sicked on us. As Dr. Khalid Muhammad would say, vicious four-legged dogs sicked on us by two-legged dogs, and, and he was very right in that esteem. 
Now, now there's, there's just two other clips I just want to play that I thought was very interesting. There's one clip I was attempting to get to play on one of the last broadcasts, but I think it's still pertinent since we're in the political season. And this is a clip with, with author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie versus Emmett Tyrell. This is broadcast through the BBC. And, and I bring this up because I was reading an article earlier today that actually talked about this interview and referenced it, and it was a full-length interview with Sister Chimamanda. So I'm going to attempt to get her on the broadcast probably somewhere in the near future here, probably within the next two months or so. We're going to work out where we can schedule an interview time with her so she'll be able to give her thoughts. So my people are already in contact with her people. We're going to make that a reality and make that happen. But here was her interview with the BBC. So once again, I'm going to queue it up, and I'm going to play off some of their points and provide the analysis for the No One Talk broadcast. Just listen, this is about three minutes, so bear with me. A black president will be followed by a president who's endorsed by the KKK. Where does that leave you? Could you pick someone? I can't imagine anybody more marginal to American elections than uh, the KKK. I mean, every four years, the KKK comes now, obviously, we know that's fraudulent and that's false because over six U.S. presidents have been proven to be members of the Ku Klux Klan, as well as 200 Democratic senators and congressmen between 1960 up to the present. Let's continue to listen. Not because people like Hillary Clinton want to bring the KKK up. So, so I want to tell you, you that they're holding a rally in December to celebrate his victory. Yeah, and so are probably the Knights of Columbus. Now, why don't you talk about the Knights of Columbus? Maybe you don't even know where the Knights of Columbus are. Another extremist group? Yeah. It's the largest Catholic organization of ma- uh, Catholic males in the country. Uh, let me just point out to you. It's inappropriate to talk about the KKK in the same sentence as Donald Trump or any Republican. He's a, uh, they're another utterly marked. Sure, he thinks that it's, that it's unlawful and it's marginal to discuss Donald Trump and the KKK in one sentence. However, any black person now is immediately tied with Black Lives Matter when they have a contrarian view to the mainstream media. But let's continue. You know, they wouldn't even exist if it weren't for every four years you trot them out. Chimanda. Go ahead. Let me hear what you have to say about that. You know, I find it, I find it really interesting. But it seems to be a refusal to accept reality. So she got the question about the KKK, and it hasn't been engaged with, and instead we're being told that there's this other group called the Knights of Zen Weber. The point is the KKK exists, the KKK endorses Donald Trump, the KKK stands for white supremacy, and that has to be acknowledged, that has to be pushed back on. Is there nothing on the campaign trail that he said about race that hit you? Did he worry about any of it? No, in fact, you people keep magnifying it. Uh, The left in America, now, notice he cleaned that up very fast. He, he jumped out immediately. He harkened back to his 1950s Jim Crow self with you people, but then he immediately tried to clean it up by blaming it on the left, although we obviously know that the left represents white supremacy as well. It's two wings on the same bird, but let's continue. And the left in, in Great Britain keeps magnifying it, but he talked about a lot of other things, and th- those things should get not even possible. It's interesting how the fifth of, of Latinos or Hispanics voting for trouble to say maybe race wasn't an issue, even though I think it's also very troubling. The idea somehow that if Hispanic or even any people of color would for somebody who's racist, it means it's not racist. I mean every system of oppression has people who are in the group of the oppressed who somehow contribute to that oppression. So it doesn't even it, it's not even a valid argument to make that because Hispanics voted for in I, I think what we should 
Now, what she just brought up was a very valid point, and I'd like all the listeners that are on this broadcast, I would like for you all who are just transitioning into your consciousness to pick up two books. There are two books that discuss this topic at length. For those that would like to learn more about their history and about their people, I always provide these two books. And she touched on the point, but these books expand on the point that she's about to make even further. The first book is Black Skin, White Mask by Dr. Franz Fanon, which was released in 1961. And the second book is The Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams, 1974. Once again, the books are Black Skin, White Mask by Franz Fanon. Please have that in your collection if you don't have any other book. And then the book you need right behind that is The Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams. In 11, chap in 11 chapters, Dr. Chancellor Williams lays out, number one, how the mulatto armies were co-opted and co-conspirators in taking down indigenous black civilizations. He also covers the assault, the dubious assault on the black mind via religious influences, via the media, and via this concept of intersectionality. In Black Skin, White Mask, Franz Fanon discusses the trouble of piecing back together a black identity which has been destroyed over a 380 to 400-year period. So please pick those books up and pick those volumes up and look over them and definitely begin to gain information about who our people are. And, and I think from the future on on this broadcast, what we will do is we'll, we'll definitely talk about certain works that our listeners need to pick up. But for right now, let's continue with the interview, because she's going to set, she's going to set Tyrell straight in just a moment. And showing us that he is. So let's look at what he said in the campaign trail. That, that's really what, because the only way we can judge the kind of president people see is based on the campaign that he ran. But maybe he didn't believe anything that he said, and maybe that's how you win it. Now look at what the host is doing. All of a sudden now she's jumped to the far right herself, and, and now she's advocating for Donald Trump. Now, we saw this on Election Day. Over 49% of white women voted for Donald Trump. Yes, they might enjoy when Hillary Clinton comes to black churches and does the whip and the nay-nay. Yes, they might talk all that feminist sisterhood with black women. However, when it comes to maintaining the system of white supremacy, white women are not stupid. And so notice she just jumped right over the other side of the fence. She didn't straddle the fence. She jumped on the other side of it and is now attempting to advocate and find some compassion in the heart of Donald Trump. And this is going to shift the tone of the entire interview. But then that's a problem, because on the one hand we're told that Trump's appeal is that he says what he thinks and he says it like it is and that sort of thing. Well, and then on the other hand we're told that somehow he doesn't really mean it. So which is it? There's something very troubling about that. No, I don't think Republicans Paul Ryan have accepted that Trump has been racist in his language. You don't. That's not true. He hasn't been racist. Now, 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 here's a clever headshot that she delivered to him, and he's now scrambling, as they usually do, and, and his white friends just chip the cogs in his in his very racist mind are turning now and turning at an ever-rapid pace, and he's trying to figure out what exactly it is to rebuttal with. However, there's nothing to rebuttal. Don't get to sit there and say that he hasn't been racist when objectively he has. You know, and it's not about your opinion. The objective thing, racism is an objective reality, and Donald Trump has been happy as a reality. You know the false consciousness, which is the theory you're talking about, is a Marxist con concept. You know, I mean, and I have, in other words, now, she just brought out a, a 
another great point that we need to talk about on this broadcast, where she talked about racism as an objective reality. What happens to black people in America is that we begin to believe that racism is simply about hatred, about a Caucasian hating a black person, when in fact racism is just as simple as me allowing myself to receive more benefits over you, me allowing myself and, and the privilege that is over me to make sure that I remain on the top and that you remain on the bottom. This is why, for example, that they always try to throw in the Marxists and the communists and the liberalists and, and, the lib- and the liberals, excuse me, and the leftists argument into conversations on race to offset it. But what they don't realize is that the white liberals are at the top, black liberals are on the bottom. The white conservatives are at the top, the black conservatives are on the bottom. The white Marxists are at the top, black Marxists are on the bottom. The white communists are at the top, the black communists are on the bottom. So it's about maintaining that seesaw structure to where their side of the seesaw never reaches the sand again and never reaches the bottom the bottom part of the playground, again, that they remain in the sky. So racism is not simply about hatred of another people. It's about ensuring that not only does my belief system stand, but my belief system establishes a physical system which will continue to suppress you based on what you look like, based on the way you speak, based on the way you dress, and based on what your name, how your name is pronounced. Let's go on. I can't even... Propagate the illusion that black people are ratchet, 
when in fact 52% of welfare recipients in this country are white people. So if anybody knows about ghetto life, it's Caucasians. <laughs> this is why as well he attempts to he attempts to talk about our disjointed or ruptured family structure because his own family structure emanated from being incestuous, inbred, and cannibalistic. Also, he attempts to talk to us about living in, pro living in housing projects when many understand now that the concept of housing projects or the concept of ghettos in America were originally inhabited by what they were called poor white trash. But then you have the white flight of the late 1920s and the early 1930s, which basically allowed white men to arm themselves with guns and at gunpoint and backed by the U.S. government, force black landowners off of their land and into what they would call now the inner city. So understand that the concept of racism, as we discuss on this program, is a level of projection, meaning that I do not like you for the characteristics that I have that you do not possess, but I'm going to convince you that you possess those characteristics. Let us for right now just take a brief break, and we will be right back with the No One Talk podcast. We'll be back in just one moment. Thank you all for holding. Just, just wanted to promote a couple of our brands as well as we continue with the No One Talk podcast. Definitely get your copy of Moves Magazine. Moves Magazine is the number one hustle magazine that is tearing the online universe up. So if you would like to just gain more hustle tips on how to better build your business, how to build a more progressive and integrative and holistic and technologically sound brand, 
please visit us at www.innovateforward. That's with the eight and the four in the middle dot com. Once again, that's innovate forward with a eight and the four in the middle dot com slash your next move. And you can pick up your copy of Moves and become a subscriber today. I was just meeting with the layout team the other night, and might I say, my 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 my, the content is looking fly. So. You definitely want to pick it up. We have our January edition, which will be coming out. I'm looking to put out the edition probably by Thursday, January 26th, because I know we have a business event locally in this area that, that we're going to support and that, and that we're helping co-promote. So definitely, once again, just pick up your copy of Moves. Moves is your number one hustle magazine. I, I was meeting with one brother last night, and he called it the Forbes of the Hood <laughs> just by looking at it. I, I happened to have it right on my phone, and so I began scrolling through it. And I just showed it to him because I didn't have a print copy with me, so I just showed it to him online. And so he was looking at it, just scrolling through the content, and I, I swear he probably looked at my phone for about an hour. And so as he was looking at it, I, I mean, literally that was the first words that came out of his mouth after reading most of the content, reading the math head, looking at the cover over and over again obsessively. He said to me, he's like, man, this is Forbes of the hood, man. You know, and so – we were always looking to put together a grassroots magazine, a grassroots business magazine that the barbershops could read, that the mom-and-pop stores could carry, and, and, and that basically just supported the young grassroots entrepreneur because, as we notice, this economy, and I'm going to get to this on a later podcast. I'm going to expand on this much more, but I just want to talk about it briefly for right now, that this economy, especially the Trump America economy, is going to simply be divided into two sects. Number one, the producer, or number two, the product. And you definitely want to be on the producer side. So once again, get your copy of Moves. Moves is, once again, on www.innovateforward.com slash your next move. And that's Innovate Forward with an eight and a four in the middle. If you would like to get in contact with me, you can connect with me via Facebook at Devin, D-E-V-I-N, Heflin, H-E-F-L-I-N, and we can definitely chop it up and talk and talk together for any questions you might have or anything that you might be interested in doing. Or, or if you would like to maybe be featured in a copy of Moves and would like to interview with us, I can have one of our staff and one of our reporters definitely contact you and get the interview underway. Also, definitely want to just, just to promote our Hustlenomics brand. It's our apparel line, Hustlenomics. We are definitely killing it with the Christocrat hat. You know, many choose to be a Democrat. Some choose to be Republican. What hat is the hit at the church is the Christocrat hat. I would definitely tell everybody to be on the lookout for our second and third third line in our series that's going to be coming up shortly. That should be coming up. We're, we're tentatively planning it to come up probably by the end of December, early January. So be on the lookout come 2017 for the brand new line of Hustle Knox Apparel. It's going to be Series 2 and Series 3. And just like with the Moves team, I was able to go by the factory and go by the warehouse and check it out, and it's sharp, man. So you definitely want to check it out. If you would like any archived podcasts from me and you would like to definitely talk to me about any archived episodes of the No One Talk podcast, or if you would like to guest on the podcast, you can contact me directly, and that's at D. H-E-F-L-I-N at InnovateForward.com. So once again, that's D-H-E-F-L-I-N at InnovateForward.com. Just be sure to put in the subject header exactly what it is that you're requesting for. Please don't put no subject in the subject header, but definitely put in the subject header exactly what you would like to interview for or if you would like to maybe submit a, a story or some information to moves that you would like for us to publish. And, and we'll be sure to work with you and get it in. I have one of my people call you and tell you if it's tight or not. 
If it's not tight, if it needs tightening up, you know how it goes. All right, so back to our show for tonight, the No One Talk. I just wanted to insert that little commercial in and play just a little bit of Roy Ayers at the same time. You know, everybody loves the sunshine. The last clip that I want to play for tonight to examine, I'm going to chop this one up because this one's a little too lengthy, but I'm going to chop this one up. And this is the third piece of news that I think was interesting enough to play on this, on this broadcast for tonight. And this is Roland Martin versus Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer is the president of the National Policy Institute. And as we know, Roland Martin is for, is for TV1 and news, and he hosts a program segment, News1 with Roland Martin on TV1. So once again, Roland Martin is just another Democratic, black Democratic shield for the Democratic Party. And he's attempting to reason with the racist in this interview. And racist obviously cannot be reasoned with. So there's absolutely no sense to talk to somebody else about the black experience when they helped create the modern black experience. And so it's very interesting here. I just wanted to point out one piece of the interview, and I'm just going to play two minutes of it. So bear with me just one moment. I'm going to pull it up. Okay. All right, so here it goes. This is the midpoint of the interview after Roland has already played the footage at the beginning of the alt-right convention, which just happened out in D.C. in the protest that it ensued. And a conqueror. We build fun and jazz. So, 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 you, also, so, so you believe five so, people so, or something? No, 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 actually, hold on one second. Five people? Shelley, play the video again. In America. No. I don't, I don't think so, most, most people are like this. It's actually just the liberal media that's in no, no, a collective freakout. No, actually, no, that's what's a collective freakout. If somebody wants to call themselves, oh, first of all, identify as a man. Okay. Identify as a man. Now, now, here's what I wanted you all to listen to. This is very interesting. The white male who's on the side, Richard Spencer, who's on the right-hand side of the interviews being interviewed, he unapologetically calls himself a white man. He's proud of himself, proud to be white, Okay. He asked Roland Martin the same question and begins to flip authoritatively on Roland Martin now. Now Roland Martin is basically beholden to answering his questions when Roland Martin should have just stayed in the role of interviewer. But here's what Roland Martin says. It's very interesting, and I'll break this down in a minute. Here's what he says. I, I, I no, action is not sexist because if a person is a woman, they're by the woman. So I'm a man. I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? I'm a cultural Christian, yeah. What the hell is that? Well, you know, I, many of us struggle with now, what exactly he said was he said, I'm a man and I'm a Christian, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, Roland, Roland should definitely be slick enough to understand that the black man comes before all of those elements because the black man birthed all of those elements and the attributes of those elements into existence. So once again, as, as we're seeing, an alt-right is just another word for white supremacy, so don't get that twisted. But what the alt-right is doing, and as now – this is being promoted as a white nation under the Trump presidency. They were unapologetically calling themselves white and proud of it. You know, Dana Carvey just released a special, comedian Dana Carvey, who's in Wayne's World and on Saturday Night Live, he just released a special called White Male, 60 Years Old. And it's a bestseller right now in America. So that should tell you the climate that we're in in this country. So let's listen to just a bit more of this interview. You can't call yourself a cultural Christian and then say, I struggle with faith. I mean, have you professed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Uh, no, I, I, I have in my life. I, I don't. I mean, look, what's, is this an no, 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 no,
Now, now, Roland should know better and understand that, of course, of course, Richard Spencer, being a white male, is going to run from this question because his very acceptance of Christ, he would understand that Christ was a black man. So obviously he's not going to accept a black man in any position over him, even when it means divinity and his own soul. Let's continue to listen. Well, somebody tells me they are Christian, and I can't. I'm not culturally Christian. What is culturally Christian? I, I grew up in a Christian background. I resonate with Christianity and so on. Okay, I'm asking you, have you professed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I, I have in my life. What, what Roland Martin is doing here, Roland Martin is attempting to court the church audience, which tunes into TV One. And I, I was looking at some of their stats the other night that TV One's viewership is mainly floated by church, by the church mothers and by the church elders, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so he's attempting to play to that audience, the quick to forgive and forget audience, the quick to not acknowledge the fact that between 1900 and 1951, there were over 4,753 black people lynched in America, that as of between 2010 to 2016, there were over 230 black people lynched in America, and most of the cases were unsolved cases. Okay, so that means that you're a Christian. So how is it that with what you espouse, how do you find that to be uh, compatible with Christian ideals? Most Christians throughout world history agreed with me that identity matters and that race is real and that they're part of an extended family. Well, it's only the this now, now, this should be a point in which Roland is not mad at all because Roland Martin should then understand that obviously this man, Richard Spencer, is hearkening to the Crusades. In, in the year 1272, what did you have? You had the Crusades, which, which was a group of Caucasians who wanted their legitimacy in the world. And so they began fighting against the, the reigning Moors of that time, which was Saladin and many of the Moors. So the Crusades was, was not just not simply a religious battle. The Crusades was a battle over ethnicity. The, bat, the Crusades was a battle over the almost suppressed black identity, just like the Habsburg Wars, wars were in Germany. 400 years later, from 1618 to 1648, the Habsburg family was a reigning black German family, and the Caspars were attempting to take the crown, and there was an entire 30-year battle. But let's just continue listening. Just a couple, just one more minute on this interview. Tiny slice of world history, like post-1965, that everyone thinks that Christianity is incompatible with identity. Well, actually, you know, actually, if you read world history, there were people who actually used Christianity to justify slavery and be a slave yeah. people who look like me. Uh, and so, and why are you a Christian? Why am I, why am I a Christian? Uh, because those people actually were false Christians. Those people were fake Christians. Those people probably were cultural Christians, where they somehow allow culture to inform their faith as opposed to their faith informing their culture. But but, I'm, but, but I, actually, I go back to the question I asked you. For most of Christian history, there was feudalism, there was serfdom, there was slavery, there was right, identity, right. there was nationalism. Yeah. And those, all of these people yeah. un-Christian, but you... No, 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 no. Those people who actually, uh, who chose to pimp the Bible as opposed to actually believe in exactly what Jesus Christ Most all of Christians throughout world history were pimps. No, 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 no. No, no, what I'm... That's all I'm going to play with that. What, what's, what's interesting is to when, – when I went to go see Birth of a Nation a couple of weeks ago, and obviously Birth of a Nation, I, I probably saw it twice just to go support Brother Nate Parker, but he brought those points out, how the, how the preachers were used to neutralize the black existence or to neutralize the black community. And so 
Nat Turner, who was a preacher and was going from plantation to plantation, grew tired of just simply neutralizing his people. And so now he began to use the Bible as a revolutionary tool and as a revolutionary force. No longer did he simply read at face value 1 Corinthians 9.19. Then he began to read Genesis chapter 9, verse number 6. Then he began to read Revelation chapter 21. Then he began to read all of these different passages like Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17 that talked about people arming themselves and rising up to topple evil that is foreseen and unforeseen. And so Nat, Nat Turner was very pivotal, but it was very interesting when you – immediately when I saw this interview, I was thinking of Birth of a Nation, and I immediately thought of it. Uh, I, I mean, because the experiences – are very harrowing and very comparable to exactly what is going on today. There, there are many black movements and black organizations that are going to be pushed into utter obsolescence for the Trump-era America. There's going to be many black causes that are going to sell themselves out simply for, simply for positions in academia in Trump-era America. So in understanding the America that you're now living under, <laughs> you know, just, just like the song used to say, stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin that source and style that you used to, meaning that the simple subtle racism that lecturers had made money off of on the lectures we're going to have discussed for decades, now there's a real-life Bull Connor in the White House. Now there's a reincarnated George Wallace in the White House. So now the entire world is looking at black America specifically and asking us, what are you all going to do about it? How are you going to rise up against it? How are you going to perform under this pressure? So, so as we said at the beginning of this broadcast, that there's a difference between the black struggle industry versus legitimate black scholarship. The black struggle industry continues to make money off of the oppression of black people, continues to tell you how much of a victim you are. Legitimate black scholarship, however, talks about the glory of your civilization and how not only did you birth this, but also you can overcome this. The black struggle industry continues to search for a white ancestor in your family tree versus legitimate black scholarship that tells you exactly what indigenous tribe you emanated from. So th those are some thoughts I wanted to share tonight on the No One Talk podcast. Next week, we have a very special guest. We have a young lady named Arnetta Lane who's going to be on our podcast, and she's a freelance writer out here in the Central Florida community as well as a historian in her own right. She's written a couple of articles for me before on my site at pyramiddreams.com, and so I'm going to have her on the, on the broadcast. She's going to be talking just a bit about some of her upcoming projects as well as some of her experience of working in media for it. It's my understanding she's worked in media for about the past seven years now. So she's going to give some of her experiences of working in newsrooms, of writing for broadcast segments, writing commercials, as well as writing for a couple of different magazines and publications that are in the Central Florida area. As always, it's been great to it's been great to be able to communicate and share these thoughts with everyone. Once again, if you would like to connect with me, you can connect with me on Facebook under D-E-V-I-N-H-E-F-L-I-N. If you have direct questions for me personally, you can email me at D-H-E-F-L-I-N at InnovateForward.com. And once again, please be sure to pick up your copy of Moves Magazine. Moves Magazine is killing it, tearing the online universe up. So if you'd like to receive your copy right in your inbox or right to or write to you exactly where you're at, just definitely hit me up, and I'll have my team be sure to get that right over to you. So 
I'm going to get on out of here, everybody, but it's just good to be back, and it's good to be able to be on the No One Talk podcast. And so we'll be back next week, this very same time at 8 o'clock p.m. If you would like to call in again, I'm going to leave the call-in number on my Facebook. It's 347-989-0180. Have a great night, everyone. Yeah. Uh-huh.